0: Why did we jump over those verses? I don't know. Who picked the Bible reading? I did. I'll have a word to myself later. Morning again. We're beginning a series on Ephesians and we're starting with the background in Acts chapter 19 this morning. And then we're going to spend October, November working our way through Ephesians, which is my favorite book in the New Testament. Um, favourite letter of Paul's anyway and then we're going to finish after the carols we'll finish with Acts 20 which is where Paul calls for the elders from Ephesus and he addresses them and reminds them of his ministry that he had with them and I thought that would be appropriate for me to do on my last Sunday with you that I would that I would call for the elders and give them a dressing down no, that I would talk to them We'll talk to the church so We've got a long way to go, I have 54 slides and I have 30 minutes, which means I have less. But if, um, if I spend 30 seconds on a, on a slide, then we'll get there. seat belts on, crash helmets on, let's pray. Thanks heavenly Father again for this opportunity that we can gather together, we can sing and worship, we can encourage and one another and love one another and we can listen and we can learn from you. Lord, this is a great privilege, a wonderful blessing, and an awesome responsibility. Give us ears to hear, hearts that are open, minds that will discern and evaluate and respond to what your truth is for us. We ask and pray that you'll work in us for Jesus' sake. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Here we go. Oh, we're going to do a series on Ephesians, I don't know. Here's some background story for you. Uh, Initially, on Paul's very first missionary journey, um, second missionary journey, sorry, he attempted to go into, as it says there, into the province of Asia, and the capital city of Asia is, of course, Ephesus, but the Holy Spirit wouldn't allow him to do it. The verses go on to say that uh, he tried to go into Bithynia, but the Holy Spirit didn't allow him to do that then, and then you remember the story that then they had a vision during the night and come over to Macedonia and help us go to Greece. In other words it's bypassing all of Asia, all of Turkey and going across to Greece where he will find his way going down to Corinth where he will have significant ministry. Paul stayed in Corinth in fact uh, for some time, about a year and a half. Pretty long time for the apostle to stay in one place but he's going to top that when he gets to Ephesus and then he left the brothers and sisters there in Corinth and he sailed and he's picked up another couple of friends who were going to be very good ministry supports for him Priscilla the wife and Aquila her husband they were like Paul were both Jewish and also tent makers and that's probably one of the connections besides their believing in the Lord Jesus so now they're leaving Corinth and they're heading back and they will pass via Asia they arrived at Ephesus where Paul uh, left Priscilla and Aquila They're gonna stay there for some time when, when he eventually leaves. He's there for a short time. He goes into the synagogue and he does what he always did. He preaches, he teaches, he got invited. In a Jewish synagogue as you gather together, back in those days anyway, the elder, the MC of the service, would look out and see if there's a visiting teacher or preacher amongst the congregation that day. And if there was, then you would be invited. Do you have any word of exhortation to bring to the brothers and sisters? Is there anything you would like to say? And Paul was on the receiving end of such an invitation and he took the opportunity to reason with the Jews about the king, about Jesus, the Messiah. Um, And it was very favorably received in the synagogue in Ephesus, so much so that they wanted him to stay, tell us more. There was this nice positive response, but he had already made a commitment to head back to Jerusalem for a vow and a feast that he wanted to be there for as well as give a report And he said, listen, I will come back if it's God's will. If God opens the door, then I will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. This is just background to it. And for us to learn that God's timing is interesting and we should always um, submissively and humbly bow ourselves before God's timing because sometimes God will say no. And sometimes God will say not yet. And sometimes the things that God has said no to, later on he will say yes to So we have to be responsive and reflective upon God's will in our own life. And between the now and the not yet, of course, God is still at work. Paul is left, but we have Priscilla and Aquila who are still in Ephesus, still attending the God, still teaching, still sharing, planting the seeds of the gospel. And we also have this guy called Apollos. In chapter 18, Apollos turns up in Ephesus. And Apollos is a pretty gifted speaker. Um, but he was a new believer and so Priscilla and Aquila took him aside and taught him more accurately about the gospel and so he preaches in Ephesus and then he goes from there to Corinth. Now that he's gone the other way, now Paul starts his second journey and Paul, when Paulus had gone to Corinth, then Paul took the road through the interior and he arrived at Ephesus. We jumped over this in the first part of chapter 19 I remind you of the story. There were 12 men. They were followers of John the Baptist. And when Paul met them, he asked them. Something was missing. Did you guys receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Or when you were baptised? We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And though he presents the Gospels to them, they get converted. They get baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. And they receive the Holy Spirit. So now there were 12 men. And there were pockets of disciples of John the Baptist over the ancient world that eventually would go through a similar experience like this. They had obviously, the John the Baptist ministry, they had left before Jesus came on the scene. Um, So now you've got 12 new followers of Jesus, also in Ephesus, along with Priscilla and Aquila. It's starting to grow, this small group. So Paul turns up in this amazing city, the city of Ephesus which is called the Treasure House of Asia. It was famous for the Temple of Artemis, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was as big as a football field. Uh, apparently there was a football game yesterday and there's rumors of another one today. The Temple of Artemis was a female, the worship of a female goddess served by female priests um, and certainly had an impact in that world. And when you read through 1 Timothy, 1 2 Timothy, and Titus, you can still read of the impact they were having. And in fact, we won't get to it, but Acts 19, there is going to be a riot in the city where the people who are making statues of the goddess Artemis uh, worried about their loss of trade and her being discredited and so on. And so there's this massive gathering in the theatre. Ephesus had this giant amphitheatre, just like we have. Football stadiums or sports stadiums. So they had an amphitheater, with archaeologists have discovered, could seat 25,000 people. When well, you read through Acts 19 today, that day it would be full with the artisans and the tradespeople from the goddess from the Temple of Artemis. It was huge, permeated the city and the community, the whole province, state, if you like. It was also had a population of about half a million or just under. So it was famous. It was the waterhole. It was this business center of that part of the world. That the river went that way, the roads went that way, tradespeople would go there and go from there and so on. It's a great place to plant a church, and that's exactly what God was going to do in his time. So Paul entered the synagogue like he had before and he spoke boldly. Paul will often pray in his letters to the churches in time, please pray that I may speak boldly as I should. He was a very strong, direct, confrontational, persuasive speaker. It says he was arguing persuasively. It's two different words that the NIV puts together. And he was arguing about or presenting to them the kingdom of God. And notice he did that for three months The synagogue in Ephesus found a ready acceptance for Paul's teaching and preaching. And just to remind you, the kingdom of God centres around the king, Jesus. That's what Christianity is all about, that we live under his rule, that he adopts us into his kingdom and his family. Here is a quote for you. Human beings were not made to govern themselves. In democracy, nor are they made to govern one another in dictatorship. Human nature needs a leader, a king, not an earthly one. We are made to be part of the kingdom of God and we'll never be what we are meant to be until Christ is our king and we live under his rule. Amen? We know these truths. And that's what Paul's teaching them. And just like in our experience, When we share gospel truth with our friends, loved ones, neighbors, work, etc., people in our life, this is true. The same sun that melts the wax also hardens the clay. The same truth that can impact us, we discover doesn't impact others. Some people are open to the gospel, some people are closed. Well, that's what Paul is going to certainly experience here and not only closed, they become quite anti. Some in the synagogue, after three months, refused to believe, and not only said no for themselves, but they also then started mocking, maligning, blaspheming, speaking against the gospel, not just to others in the synagogue, but it would appear to those in the city of Ephesus as well. And so the biblical truth of what Jesus said is, don't cast your pearls before swine, be sensitive, be discreet. So Paul left them, of course. There's no point being unnecessarily aggravating or wasting your time. When one door closes, another one opens, though, doesn't it? And he took the disciples with him, those who had become followers of Jesus, and he had discussions with them now daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Tyrannus is the guy's name. It must be a nickname. In English, we would call him the tyrant. It's kind of difficult to imagine a parent calling their child, oh. Hmm. Maybe, no, you could identify with, uh, you little beast, you tyrant. No, I couldn't imagine a parent calling their child that. So I think it's a nickname that his students probably gave him, Tyrannus, the Hall of Tyrannus, the Hall of the Tyrant. He was a philosopher, a teacher who was in Ephesus. It would appear also that he became a follower of the Lord Jesus. Perhaps that doesn't necessarily have to follow Tyrannus would have been lecturing, because what the Jewish people certainly did is they had their schools, but they also developed these other things called divinity schools, where they would teach not just like public schools, reading, writing, arithmetic, and history, and so on, but they would teach the scriptures, they would teach theology. That's what Tyrannus was doing. He was teaching students Old Testament truths. But he would do that from the early morning, from eight o'clock until about 11 o'clock. We ought to adopt this, at 11 o'clock, until about four o'clock was siesta time. In favour, yeah. amen. At eleven o'clock, we're all going home to go to bed. They used to say in Ephesus there were more people asleep at one a.m. at one p.m. in the afternoon than there were at one a.m. at night. Everybody went home. Everybody knocked off. Everybody relaxed because it was the heat of the day. Well, this is what Paul does. He's, Tyrannus is in the hall for up until 11 o'clock, then the hall is vacant. So Paul hires it, the lecture hall. He either hires it or it's given to him. And so now Paul, in the heat of the day, is teaching, not just once a month, once a week now in the synagogue, but he's teaching daily, four hours a day in the middle of the day. He was a bit of a workhorse, the Apostle Paul. Four o'clock, that finished. Probably Tyrannus came back either for more lectures after that. Um, or it went into the evening and the apostle Paul who no longer had access to the hall he would then go from house to house visiting and teaching, praying for and so on he tells us that in Acts chapter 20 you can read that, we'll get to it eventually here is the truth, one door closes and another one and often a better one will open God says no, he's got something better in mind for you Here is this truth being worked out for the Apostle Paul. Oh, no, we're kicked out of the synagogue, but bang. Now into the hall, and this is where the church is going to be developed. This went on for two years. Paul's doing this, flat out, that ministry in Ephesus. That's a long stay. So that eventually all of the Jews and all of the Gentiles in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. All of the people in Queensland. Get that picture because people would be coming, getting converted, returning to their homes, and so on. And of course, during these two years, many churches were planted. Colossae was planted then, The letter to the Colossians. Laodicea, in fact, the churches of Revelation, chapters two and three, you know those seven churches? They're in the province of Asia. They're on a circuit. Those churches are all started in this two year period through Paul's ministry. Before I go on, I do wanna say this. <clears throat> And I'm not, not wanting to hold the Apostle Paul, it is a very impressive workload, but, but there is a call for balance and common sense. <laughs> and we do need to sleep, we do need to eat, we do need to look after ourselves, certainly we need to work and we need to serve one another, all of that, but we need to do so sensibly. I remind you of a quote of Robert Murray McShane, who was a young Scottish pastor who died at the age of 29 a magnificent preacher. You can still buy his sermons in print today. He had an incredible gift to communicate very succinctly and very powerfully. His sermons go for something like two or three pages. Two or three pages. And he says it all. Not everybody has that gift. I certainly don't. Died at the age of 29. As he was dying, he said, because he worked himself, he pushed himself. God gave me a horse and a message. I have killed the horse, referring to his body. I have killed the horse and now I can't deliver my message. Let's learn from Robert Marion McShaney. Let's commit ourselves, let's do all that we possibly can but be sensible. Sometimes, and maybe this is a word for you, sometimes we get spiritually dull or spiritually dry And the reason for it is not spiritual, it's physical. You're tired, sleep, or you need to eat properly, or you need to exercise, or you need something else. You need to look after your whole being. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. And then there was divine confirmation of Paul's ministry. This is very unusual. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, even handkerchiefs and aprons that he touched that he had touched were taken from him, gone to people who were sick, and he would place that, those aprons or handkerchiefs, sweatbands that he was using as a tent maker, and people, if he had a disease, they were cured of it, had an evil spirit, it would leave, it was cast out. And I don't know if you've ever received in the mail today, I mean, it's in the scriptures, if you, for the low price of $25, if you would like to take my hanky and to place it on yourself or on a loved one who is not well, then perhaps God will heal them, 25 (laughs) bucks. There are ministries who do that. This is an extraordinary miracle. This is not given to us as something to be emulated, to be copied. What was God doing here? It certainly sounds a little bit superstitious and weird, But remember Peter, way back in Acts chapter 5, he would be walking along the street and when his shadow fell on somebody, they got healed. What was God doing? God was demonstrating through these miracles that he was with that person. God was demonstrating that he was with Peter when his shadow was falling on people and they would get healed. Why? So that people would listen to Peter. That they would listen to the gospel. Why didn't God allow miracles of handkerchiefs and aprons to thing because people would conclude God is with this person. We need to listen to him. It's always the word. God's word is where it is. It's not in the miracles. The miracles are confirming. But notice also that they cast out demons. Separation, please note too, that uh, illnesses and demonic spirits, some people want to push them together. That there's no such things as evil spirits, no such things as demonization. And clearly the scriptures teach that there is. So God was with Paul. If we reach out to him, the Lord is saying, then he will reach out to us. That's God God coming down and meeting people of Ephesus at their level of understanding that a miracle through a handkerchief and an apron. They weren't saved by the handkerchief or the apron. They were saved and healed by their faith and trust in the one that it represented in God. Does that make sense? Remember Jesus was walking along and a lady who had an illness for a lot of years came up and just wanted to touch the hem of his garments, the tassels of his robe. Remember that story? And Jesus stopped in the crowd, who touched me? Turns around, she comes forward and he says, what has saved you? Your faith has saved you. It's not the touching of my robe that saved you. It was that belief, if I could just touch, I'll be be healed. It's that faith that does it. That's the point I'm trying to make. Whenever God does a work, then Satan always certainly counteracts, uh, does a counter move, and so he does so here. This is the bit we jumped over. I don't know why we jumped over it. Some Jews went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. In the ancient world, people believed illnesses and diseases, especially mental illness, were due to evil spirits. Exorcisms were a common trade, a regular trade. What they would do is they would learn the, the secret names of more powerful spirits, and they would come along and exercise those names and cast the demon out, supposedly. We have no proof that it actually worked. Um, And nor is there a reason for us to believe it. It was superstitious, it was misguided. They were charlatans, they were con artists, just like some people today who want to send you their hankies in the hell and support their ministry and so on. These Jews had observed, these people had observed, obviously Paul, through the name of Jesus, healing people. So they said... Let's use Jesus, let's add Jesus to our list of names to exercise authority over demons. So they would say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. And one day, the demons replies to them. Seven sons of Sceva were doing this. One day the evil spirit spoke to them. Look what it says, Jesus I know. Paul I know, who are you? Just pause and think about that. The demon says, and you shouldn't talk to demons, nor should you trust them. But this demon says, Jesus I know. Well, of course he knows Jesus, because Jesus is the king. He's the sovereign one. The demons know him, and they fear him. Jesus I know. But then he says, and Paul I know. Paul I know about. I've been watching him. A.W. Tozer then preached a sermon based on that text and the title of the sermon was, Known in Hell. Or more accurately, it should have been called, Known in the Hallways of the Kingdom of Darkness. When you are actively following Jesus, when you are obedient to him, the evil one will know about you. There is a spiritual battle going on and so he will target you. Not saying that to scare you or to discourage you, just to remind you and be aware. Greater is He who was in us than He who was in the world. Don't listen to the lies of the devil. So, who are you? Who do you think you are? You have no authority over me. And the man with the evil spirit in them jumped on them, overpowered them, ripped their clothes off, belted them, bashed them. They fled out of the house naked and bleeding. Came off second best. We need to watch our attitude to say, and there's no joking matter. This passage certainly reminds us of that. And nor should you engage in the demonic ministry without God's calling or without you properly being equipped. God will go before you always, just like he does in the New Testament. But it's not something to seek, nor is it something to avoid. The scriptures are submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee. Submit to God. How did God use this situation? Remember last week, a couple of weeks ago, I spoke about not Murphy's law, but Joseph's law. If anything can go wrong, it will go wrong at the worst time. Joseph's law. If anything can go wrong and it does go wrong, then always remember that God is behind the scenes and he's working his purposes out. That's what's happening here. Verse 17, when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus about the seven sons of Sceva, about what the demon did to them, when that became known, look at the response, people were seized with fear and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honour. God used that to open the door of the gospel for more people in Ephesus. And of course, a genuine work of God always increases our own awareness of sin, of sin. When the gospel impacts us, it makes us more aware of and more sensitive to sin. Look what happens, verse 18. Whoops, can't drive. Many of those who believed now came and they openly confessed what they had done. It changes our attitude to sin. It's not something we parade anymore, it's something we are saddened by, humbled by, broken by. Openly confess. that's publicly confessed what they had done wrong. Wow, this is a real work of God, a revival. And a number of those who had been practicing sorcery brought their scrolls, their books, their amulets, their charms and they burned them publicly. They'd also been impacted by the gospel. The temple of Artemis was the one of the ancient wonders of the ancient world and it had attracted thousands and thousands of all sorts of strange characters. And there was a very strong demonic presence in Ephesus. And this large number of people bring their scrolls, which they had been using. Um, they were used to, if you wanted to go on a trip, you would buy some sort of amulet or talisman to keep you safe on your journey. If you didn't have any children, you would get one of these things and uh, utter the spell or whatever and, so that you could have a child. You paid them to, um, for success in your marriage or in your business. And people came from all over the world to get these magic parchments and so on. But now the people who are selling this and making these things are now convicted, converted, and they said, we've got to get rid of it. I was taught when I became a follower of the Lord Jesus, if you read a book, Darrell, a written Christian book, if you read a book and you don't it's not true, there's no truth in it. It's not a good book to pass on, don't pass it on, put it in the bin. But if it's a good book, pass it on. Pass on truth, not error. Pass on um, biblical truth, good theology, not bad theology. Do what they did, burn it. So too in our lives, sometimes there are things that need to be burnt, we need to sacrifice. Even very precious treasures and possessions, look at this. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000, the NIV says drachmas, 50,000 silver coins. Somebody calculated that a drachma is a one day's wage. That's a lot of money. We're talking millions and they're burning it. Because it was demonic, it was evil. It needed to be destroyed. What do we need to burn out of our lives? It costs to follow Jesus, costs a lot more not to, doesn't it? And then Luke, six times in the book of Acts, he gives a summary statement, which divides the book of Acts up into six sections. Here is his fifth statement. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely, and it prevailed. It grew in power and influence. God established a very powerful, strong church in the city of Ephesus. Some estimate that it was a church in the thousands. I'm not sure what they based that on. They would have been all in house churches all throughout the city and then also in and out of the city to those other cities, Scylla, Colossae and Laodicea and so on. So the gospel came to Ephesus. That's the book we're going to be looking at. This is what Paul wrote in a letter back to Corinth when he was about Ephesus. But I'll stay on in Ephesus until Pentecost, he says, because a great door for effective work have opened for me, but there are many who oppose me. That's what Paul wrote while he was in Ephesus in that two year period. When God does a work of grace, Satan always has a counter move. God has a right time for all things. It's a time for everything under heaven. Not yet, or now. The same sun melts the wax, also hardens the clay. Don't be discouraged, continue to trust God and let him work his purposes out. When one door closes, look for God to open another one. Don't go climbing through windows. balance and common sense is always required as we follow the Lord Jesus if you reach out to God and seek him he will find you a genuine work of God in us increases our awareness of sin what do we need to burn what needs to go in our life cost to follow Jesus certainly costs a whole lot more than not to in God's word carries God's power to accomplish God's purposes the gospel was unhindered. If you look at the context of Acts 19, then there were many obstacles and even enemies to God's word. There was incomplete knowledge, the followers of John the Baptist, there was hardness of heart, there was magic and sorcery, there was idolatry, materialism and persecution. Nevertheless, Luke says, the word of God spread widely and grew in power. God's word carries God's power to accomplish God's purposes. Let us be people of the book. Ephesians downloads next week. We're going to pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this incredible uh, record of how you work in our world and how you worked in the city of Ephesus. Lord, deliver us from fearing the evil all around us and help us rather to shine like lights in the midst of the darkness. Help us to place our trust in you and our full reliance upon the truths of your word and for us to share it um, sensitively but also boldly. Lord, take us and use us like you use Paul to have an influence for the gospel in the lives of the ways that we know and love. We ask and pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.